And my first question is what the acid left is and what acid communism is. I'm running a, a, a YouTube channel and Patreon and Facebook page called The Acid Left with Adam Ray Adkins. It's basically a kind of offshoot of acid communism, which is a term devised by Mark Fisher uh, in his last work. And actually it kind of got published as an introduction in a compendium by Repeater Books. We don't really know what Mark Fisher was going to say with this, but, but he had this term acid communism and he kind of sketched out something in his introduction and it basically comes down to a movement which aims at the fostering of working class consciousness through music, through gatherings, through consciousness raising exercises, happenings, etc. A kind of not really placation, but a softening towards hippie culture and psychedelic culture by Fisher, who had been kind of quite scathing towards hippie culture in some of his blog posts on K-Punk, his blog, and some of his other writing. So basically, it just seems that Fisher softened towards the idea that a psychedelic culture, kind of far out creative artistic culture around concerts and things could foster the conditions for a kind of increased working class consciousness and some kind of organization towards a, you know, shall we say revolution. But I don't think Fisher would have even like said revolution because this is almost too crass or simple to a kind of a melding of our conditions in deeply capitalist society into something else. You know, I'm all kind of into that. I find that very interesting. It's kind of very open-ended. So people have taken it and they've kind of used it. Um, there are various people playing around what is acid communism is Jeremy Gilbert who actually talked about a term with Fisher in Fisher's lifetime and there's other people who are kind of making Facebook pages etc and it's become very memic there's been lots of memes being made basically me and Adam and a guy called Terry Tapp who is a painter who also wrote a book for Zero Books at one point who has a background in activism kind of thought we wanted to take this on ourselves, push it in a certain direction, but not have it being specifically communist. Although actually, I think Terry even describes himself as a communist, but we thought to call ourselves acid left just to give us a much wider scope. We really pushed the, the capacity of creativity, of artwork, of abstraction particularly, to disrupt uh, commodify society and to come up with kind of maybe interruptions, random things which may kind of put ourselves out of our otherwise kind of thoroughly reified, commodified, falsified existence. That's really interesting because, you know, in the in like the, the 1970s and kind of like 60s, like countercultural acid movement and like the ideas like that kind of failed because it's like Steve Jobs and a lot of people that were in the kind of 70s kind of communist like left back then kind of became like libertarian, like entrepreneurs or like capitalists like Steve Jobs. And like that kind of wave has kind of looked at as kind of like a failure in that time. I definitely think think there's like significance to that in like bringing that back today and also in the sense of like art and technology today. How much does it have to do with like, you know, acid and LSD? Well, that's interesting. I mean, Mark Fisher actually had quite a lot bad to say about hippies and about drug culture in his writing as he kind of like supported some kind of well thought out organized vision for the left, although he didn't actually elucidate a vision which would work or even I don't think he even claimed he had a system that was fully worked out. But, you know, he was kind of scathing towards you know, the kind of people who just smoke pot, who kind of relax, you know, the people who are like, hey, man, why don't we chill? So I don't think drugs have to be part of an acid left culture. Yeah, obviously, it's a suggestive of that. And LSD is one of the things that acid hints at. But actually, in the introduction, I'm pretty sure it says, you know, there are other connotations important also like the corrosive nature of acid, you know, the kind of chemical as it, it corrodes capitalism. 
or you know various you know, chemicals which we come under the rubric name acid you know these kind of corrosive uh, liquids but yeah i mean for us it's I mean, I think psychedelic culture is really interesting. I think it's very powerful. I think that with LSD and mushrooms, obviously can reconfigure the brain to some extent. And also, crucially, they kind of point to things not being separated as in our false kind of consciousness of us being humans and the world being something else that needs to be subjugated or the kind of feeling of us and them, you know, our faction against another faction or just a general kind of feeling one has of um, fear of others. The LSD is an experience that kind of breaks down boundaries and one, I don't actually, I've, I've only ever taken mushrooms and smoked pot and stuff, but mushrooms does much a similar thing that psychedelics, they get rid of this feeling of like everything being separated and, and one feels be one with everything. That's one experience. But I think this comes also through meditation and I think also through looking at abstract artwork or listening more likely to abstract music and music is in itself pretty much abstract and you know there's a moment when you're kind of lost in an artwork or a piece of music and you're no longer thinking about these things you have to do today or you're not really thinking anything and you get in this kind of floaty kind of state I think this is something very important as well so I think anything that basically gets you in that state and brings you out of a false state of what Adorno would call a kind of identity thinking so for Adorno a big problem with capitalist society or society as such in, in its different kind of historical stages is we tend to identify things under false terms and numbers and, and what have you as a means of controlling them. So the Enlightenment project, much like religious thinking before that, you know, is a process of giving things numbers, names, etc., to try and dominate them. And the problem with that is that we end up actually dominating each other and ourselves in the bid to dominate nature through a kind of numbers schema. So we end up all being reduced to a to a wage value. So what abstraction does is it kind of breaks out of that because while you know whilst contemplating abstraction you're not able to identify and say this is a tree this has a numerical value of 10 etc so i suppose you know the acid in the acid left is about experiences that can do that that can break you out of yeah and that's kind of also like how I got into like a lot of, I did a lot of, I was getting into a lot of research into like the psychedelic culture and politics. That's kind of the thing with capitalism is that it's a very, not only, you know, it's an economic system, but it's also gets into like our psyche and just the way we dream, the way we think about society and these kind of rigid structures. And the thing about psychedelics is that, you know, there's this idea that they can bring you out of that. And I've kind of had the, in myself, I kind of had these three stages where at first getting into it, I came into it, you know, really into the kind of psychedelic, super interested in that. I, you know, over the years, I like, you know, listened to a lot of Joe Rogan when Joe Rogan was very small time YouTube or small time comparably to, you know, the giant like, you know, Spotify deals he's doing now. And I was like super interested in that. And um, I'd read about Terrence McKenna. And then I had this kind of second stage where I was like, and also I kind of felt this in my own life that, you know, like, oh, taking acid and shrooms didn't really do anything for me. It's like, it's not like you just take these things and you have some crazy vision and then you can, you know, end capitalism. Oh, and then I kind of got disillusioned with that and really was like, oh, well, you know, this movement actually really failed and actually it turned into like, you know, a lot of it kind of played into neoliberal capitalism. 
kind of in really my thing is just Apple. Apple is like a huge symbol for like American neoliberal capitalism and kind of how, you know, Steve Jobs literally was a hippie in that movement in like the 70s or whatever doing a LSD. Then I kind of had this third stage where I realized, well, I actually think it's underrated. And I think because 60s and 70s kind of acid movement seem to be kind of uh, looked at as like a failure, I've kind of feel like it's, it's a little underrated. And I actually think that there are still a lot of things in there that we can still learn from, actually. One of them is kind of, I, I definitely do think, all the new ways that music and, and, and also especially memes, and obviously, you know, drug culture and psychedelics obviously has a lot to do with a lot of the meme production going on right now. A lot of the kind of younger people today that are making memes probably doing a lot of psychedelics. Just from what I know, I've been doing a series where I've been doing this podcast where I bring on memers in the last like month. Just from talking to them, a lot of these young people, they are really actually interested in psychedelics. And I definitely do think that this kind of uh, accelerated internet culture is definitely psychedelic in a way these memes kind of break us out of this kind of rigid capitalist thinking one of my questions was what inspired you to look into kind of the meme side of things and how you apply adorno to that kind of thinking and to the uh, study of memes well, I mean, Adorno and, and actually also uh, Benjamin Horkheimer, I mean, really the Frankfurt School as such in, in that period in the 1930s and 1940s through to the 60s were very much involved in looking at mass culture, what, what actually what they called the culture industry. So basically popular culture. You know, I think if they were around today, they'd be looking at, at, at meme culture. And this is because they, they, they really believe that, you know, one cannot base, you know, left-wing policy or left-wing analysis around only the economy, that there's more than the economy happening, that there's this other kind of aspect, which is sociological and cultural, and that people express their power often through culture. Basically, you know, there is that memes are an important cultural unit today. And if we're going to understand the left, we need to understand memes and how they kind of empower people, how they influence people. And of course, you know, with this, we get the kind of by now cliche of the alt-right maybe influencing the last election in, in the States. You know, perhaps the alt-right helped uh, Donald Trump to win the, the presidency. You know, so there, there are all these elements uh, apart from also, I mean, I was working a lot with art and I was working in the art world as a art critic for a number of international magazines and also as a curator, which basically means I organize exhibitions and performance events. I also performed a bit as a kind of VJ. So I make kind of live visuals working with musicians and stuff. So I did quite a lot of things at you know, an international level working in the art world and kind of got disillusioned with what was happening and the fact that you know, art for all the kind of talk of an art that is open and the desire to make an art for everyone that kind of influences a museum programming, government kind of policy in the arts. Actually, the art world doesn't at all feel like it's for everyone. I mean, it's very much closed. So it's a very much middle class space. Actually, factually, it's like at least 80% middle class upwards in Britain. And I think the stats would be similar in Italy and America. And actually, I say Italy because I lived there for a few years, but basically any Western country. So this kind of dream of an art for all, which kind of comes from early modernist art, has never, has never really been realized except now in the kind of meme sphere or in, you know, in the internet generally since the World Wide Web began in the 90s. 
So, you know, part of my interest is in, you know, just in the fact that we have this thing that anyone can use and then what's happening. So the art world kind of has spoken about an art for everyone. But now we have this kind of potential that anyone can publish, anyone can make stuff, anyone can see anything made by anybody. So actually a lot of time you're looking at stuff made by your friends or your peers. So I'm looking at your stuff. You're looking at my stuff. This is going to network now, Joshua, Chitarella, Adam, you know, we can name many people. We're all looking at each other's kind of work. And it's great. We cut out the middleman. We cut out these kind of experts that got their jobs because they went to the right universities because basically they had money and a family or whatever, which you need if you're going to sustain yourself in the arts because it's not very well paid if you even get paid at all. So, you know, this kind of fascinates me that we have this. But then, of course, what we have is something that's kind of quite repugnant to the establishment, to the real art world, or even to many people who claim to, you know, to want a culture for all who might even be into radical or internet culture or, should we say, kind of like non-mainstream art culture. So you get this thing of like, you know, any, everyone should make art. Everyone should be able to create and put stuff out there, but they shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be making cat memes or whatever or Kardashian-style selfies or, or whatever. And this is kind of like the really kind of kitsch end of mean production but on the other hand i mean it's what people are doing and it is breaking down the system so for me actually you know the the left-wing potential of memes doesn't reside so much in left-wing meme kids making memes about stalin or even mark fisher you know which is obviously two two huge extremes but uh, you know making memes about left figures that's going to do something that's going to maybe enlighten people to some extent and get debates going. But the, the left wing aspect of the internet goes for me way beyond that. And that's why I, I, I just find it interesting because it has that huge potential. Yeah. And what's also interesting about when I really started getting into like Adorno's idea of like the culture industry and reading like the dialectic of enlightenment. And when I, when I was thinking like, you know, how quickly the kind of countercultural kind of LSD taking in the 1960s or whatever, like how much that became like mass culture with the Beatles and how they were like, you know, literally the most popular band of all time and how just easily appropriated by capital that kind of became that kind of kind of a countercultural movement became. And also like with the art world, it seems to just be increasingly appropriated by capital. Also, yeah, like you mentioned, Josh Cigarella, who I had on on the last episode, he comes from the kind of art world. And to me, it seems like I think a lot, a lot of people are kind of waking up to this more right now, more than ever. And I definitely do think it has a lot to do with the the meme production and being able to... Uh, in media, you can make your own media, basically. And I think from people kind of seeing that people are kind of getting a lot, a lot more people are becoming more disillusioned with the kind of art world as such. And it's it kind of became more of like this, this kind of cultural thing. And, you know, there's a lot of there's like a lot of culture and kind of like the meme culture that's going on right now in social media platforms like Instagram, where you know, the art culture is very involved, but there's a good amount of people that really aren't even worried about the kind of art side of it. And that's kind of the thing with the kind of left versus right meme thing is there's this there's this meme where it's like leftist memes would be like and it's just an unreadable like amounts of blocks of text. And, you know, it's like right wing memes be like and it's just some kind of like three worded meme or something. And the thing is with kind of left memes is that they seem to be a lot more academic 
and uh, intellectual. It's kind of the thing with the art world is kind of this this high this hierarchy and kind of the the academic side of kind of the art world and how you know not only not only is are are these things completely being appropriated but you know i i i i think that this new kind of inner this new internet wave where you know people are being able to kind of make their own memes people are kind of breaking out of that and also you have this um really good quote in your book where you mentioned uh you know in the 20th century interaction with the media amounted to literally just talking back at the television and then it's like by the second decade of 21st century talking back to the TV has become making the TV, you know, uh, gaming, meme production, you know, posting just pieces of text or videos or images on Twitter or whatever that, you know, if you were to kind of explain this to kind of adorno, let's say like in the 1940s or 1950s or whatever, you know, or, or people in that kind of time, they might go, wow, like th- this is going to be a revolution in thought and, and the breaking out of, 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 of like the culture industry. And there's no more of like, you know, like the, the kind of rich and powerful kind of paying middle class people and this kind of very strict system of what gets put on television or what doesn't. Um, you know, now people are getting giant um, audiences, I mean, way more than television literally and they started by in their in their bedroom you know like things like twitch um and uh you know i guess my question is is you know like like i said if you would explain this to someone like back then they would be like oh this is this has to be like some kind of revolutionary thing like 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 there's no way capitalism can can survive uh when when you just have all of this free thought and people being able to you know, because like back then, the idea was like the only thing holding us back from from communism were certain things like the culture industry and um, certain certain systems in in society and in capitalism to where they kind of won't let us get our voice out. And now, you know, it kind of seems to where we are kind of allowed to post and, and do whatever we want, but still uh, to an extent that kind of seems like it's furthering, putting us further and further into the kind of, uh, hegemony of, uh, you know, like modern capitalism or whatever. But I guess my question is like, do you have any hope that, uh, you know, do you have any hopes or predictions of what this new technology and maybe how it can spread class consciousness? Or do you think that capitalism? Well, there's a few things to unpack there. I mean, for, for one, I mean, whether, what what Adorno and Benjamin would have said, or what avant-garde artists would have said, if you'd said like you know, if you explain basically what, what we're going to have now and the potential of memes for anyone producing and you know Twitch TV and stuff, I don't know because there was some kind of level of snobbery as well, and and actually mm-hmm. Adorno and Benjamin were very very wealthy. I mean, very very wealthy. I'd say upper bourgeois, not properly upper upper class. But they were kind of well maintained. That's basically why, when we look back at that period, we have like Adorno, Benjamin, Habermas. They were all basically just—they were very rich kids whose parents, you know, put up with them wanting to be aesthetic theorists rather than be doctors or whatever, or, um, or lawyers. And they—they they, their parents basically had their backs, so they could like go and write about this stuff and, and and you know of course it's great they did because they they were to some extent radical in wanting to 
look at popular culture and seeing some value in talking about the things that the masses were looking at. Um, but at the same time, Adorno certainly remained um, quite elitist because basically he thought that the culture industry, the products of the culture industry, radio, TV, magazine, etc., they, um, you know, because they were mass produced, because they were part of industry, they basically reinforced a kind of capitalist mindset. Um, where I suppose the question would be who would own this stuff? Because then you get, I think you get really to the crux of things. Okay, this stuff is owned by Amazon, Google, Facebook. You see this documentary by Netflix, um, what's it called? The Social Dilemma, uh, which came out last week. I don't know if you've seen that yet. But um, it, talk, it, it, it talks about precisely this thing. It doesn't say anything very new. It basically just says it um, in a documentary. So I suppose it reinforces what we already think. Um, well, I'd be surprised at many people not knowing what's in that documentary unless they were like either very old or very young. But um, basically that the social media companies, um, you know, other internet companies, their their aim is to get us clicking, not to give us what we necessarily want. And it's and 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 you know, in doing that, they're trying to divide us because divided people click more. So you have these two factions left and right that are getting more and more divided over the last few years by the internet, which you know, in their division gets them kind of constantly chatting to each other or getting incensed by each other and telling their friends, oh shit, have you seen what this right wing guy has done? And the right wing guy is saying the same about about left wing. Maybe we're never meeting, but we're constantly getting pissed off by each other, which is making us click more. So, um, (laughs) so, I mean, this is, um, I suppose where you were leading, you know, it's not maybe what we, what we wanted, you know, it's not the, the, the best case scenario, but on the other hand, um, Adorno at the same time, and it's actually a bit like Marx, he saw something in the commodity giving us potential for freedom from the commodity itself. So a commodity, a commodity fetish in the Marxist sense, like a object which is bought and sold that claims, in a sense, properties beyond itself. So like the new white shirt, which is going to make you more appealing to employers and to to people you want to attract to you for other reasons. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a piece of material, but it kind of like lures you and tells you that it has something in excess of its own pure material properties. Um, so in a way you get a commodity kind of taking on human properties and the human following it blindly and becoming an object. So what Adorno says is the artwork, it's kind of like the commodity par excellence or par excellence. I can't even speak French. He doesn't even use that term. He always says, he says is the, the absolute commodity, the commodity to the to an extreme. Um, so it does a trick of the commodity, which says that, you know, I can offer you all this in excess of my material core, but it does it even more because what the artwork says and what the role of art is in a way is that I'm not even a commodity. I'm special. I'm beyond the entire commodity system. So when you're looking at an artwork, you kind of feel that you're transported out of material conditions. So this is a trick learned from the commodity that the artwork plays in, in modern society. And Adorno says that you know, the, the abstract artwork that pretends to be completely aloof from reality um, does this the best. And it might actually be what, through his example of pretending, pretending to be outside capitalism, might kind of lead us out of capitalism in, in kind of fleeting glimpses of, 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 um, of other truths uh, or of truth itself. 
Um, so, you know, um, this, the crux here, and actually Marx did a similar thing, saying that um, kind of capitalism, you know, could kind of lead us out of capitalism as it kind of teaches us, um, um, you know, kind of, it kind of, it kind of uh, instrumentalizes the working class and, and as such kind of um, could lead the working class thinking, well, hey, you know, with this power, we could do all kinds of things. We could even like make a new society. So, you know, for both of them, it's not like capitalism actually prevents the end of capitalism. You know, and it's very unclear. This is why I think you get accelerationism in the last few years. It's basically a play on this. Actually, more capitalism might give us the tools to get out of capitalism. So I don't even think that the kind of the being capitalist of the internet is the thing that's going to prevent us using it to, you know, kind of leverage a new and better society. So I think you've got various answers there. That basically, I'm not sure Donna would like it on the surface, but on the other hand, it being capitalist isn't the thing in itself that's going to um stop us kind of using it for other other means so i think that's what really where the key is now is that if we look at the kind of complaints that benjamin and adorno were making in the 30s to the to the 60s in adorno's case um about mass culture being used uh to kind of like um make people constantly even in their leisure time be simply just cogs in, in kind of industrial an industrial machine um, if you look at those kind of, you know, those kind of criticisms and the fact they're based very much on the top-down model of mass media and the fact that it's being used to send messages one way from the ruling elite who own the kind of means of production to the workers, quite clearly we don't have that anymore. We have something else um, where anyone can send messages to anyone. I mean, within reason. Um, so I think we have to kind of grasp onto that and and say. Well, you know, if Adorno and Benjamin saw cracks in the system, um, and Marx as well, uh, then perhaps there are even more cracks, or there's even more kind of means of seizing on those cracks today, you know, now that we actually kind of own the means to kind of communicate ourselves. Um, so I think there's reason for positivity, basically. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of like um, what we both do kind of like with our our shows is kind of i guess we have to have some kind of hope that uh what we're that 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 what we've been given this kind of like internet um this kind of structure you know maybe can we there there can be maybe positive elements that can that can come out of it um also it's just i think it's just literally hilarious this kind of idea of like this like cuz you know adorno uh, you know, reading about him also, you know, I've also gotten a lot more interested in him over in the last years. Um, cause also I think he is one of the most important thinkers to read about if you are interested in, in, in just, just today's media landscape at all. And he was very, uh, hang on. I think he really man. predicted a lot of things. One second. Hang on. Uh,
Hello, hi. Uh, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, sorry, so we, we've missed a bit there. Something went wrong. Uh, so I think you basically just started talking after I stopped, so maybe you could go back. Okay, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we can just edit, edit it post-production. Um, okay, but yeah, what I was getting to was... Um, okay, so yeah, it's like there's this... I think it's really meaningful, but it's also incredibly hilarious to think of like Adorno, this kind of grumpy kind of... Um, scholar back then thinking about you know how he he like didn't even like jazz at the time um kind of what he'd think about modern today's music and society it's it'd probably just be you know pretty mind-blowing um and there was this meme and it's also thinking about what he would think about today's memes um you know, contemporary memes, there's this meme and the, the meme that always comes to mind and it's also because it's it kind of has this uh um collaboration with music is there's this meme where uh there's it, this was at the time whenever i like bernie dropped out and it was this kind of uh are we going to vote for biden debate and um there was some meme where it was the little like mad uh liberal wojack and um you know for listeners uh to, to explain, you know, on like YouTube, I'll, I'll put the I'll put the meme up. But for listeners, it's basically the little mad like liberal Wojak and he's screaming, no, you can't vote for Biden, you liberal. And then it's like Marx, Lenin and Chomsky, I think. Um, and it's and there's like a there's like a block of text below their their little heads, um, presumably uh explaining why you should vote for Biden, I guess, pieces of uh, quotes out of their, out of their, out of their uh, text. But, um, you know, either way, you know, uh, I, I, what, what the debate is, the kind of meme is kind of turned to nonsense. And uh, they're one of my favorite memes of all time actually came out of this meme where someone replaced all of the, of the Marx, Lenin and Chomsky quotes with the uh, very popular Hunter Geck song, uh, Money Machine, the lyrics to that song. And I guess it's kind of just like poking fun at um, the kind of the kind of nonsense of, of uh, kind of what has turned into the, the debate. Um, I just uh, I just sent you the the, the, the two memes um, we're talking that I'm talking about right now. But um, there was some there was some. There was some meme where uh, someone on Twitter said, like, what would and this is months ago. Someone was like, "What you know, I could I could uh, show me any piece of media and I could tell you what Adorno thought. I forgot who said this. But, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was I just replied, you know, I, I retweeted it and put that picture of that of that meme with the hundred gex lyrics um, kind of mocking the kind of uh, Marx, Lenin and Chomsky uh someone's whoever put the original meme together trying to say that you know uh these are like these great thinkers explaining why you should vote for biden um and you know uh you know either way of like kind of what what a lot of people's opinions were it was kind of agreed upon that you know the 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 internet frenzy that it's kind of created kind of turned into like a lot of nonsense and um you know, the the political side of it is super interesting. And it's just like, 
with Adorno, and I mean, Adorno was kind of losing his mind back then looking at the culture industry and, um, you know, kind of like a Disney and, 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 um, you know, like the, the, the modern media, even like in, in his times, um, you know, in his time with, with, with the idea of like, uh, you know, just, just TV being able to be broadcasted, um, to people, uh, and, 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 and cartoons, but, um, it's, it's just like, you know, I, I, even, even, even now, I think it's accelerated to such a point where I think this kind of, you know, that Hunter Gex, uh, meme with the, with the Lenin, Chomsky and Marx, I, I think that meme is so good because it, it just literally represents like, you know, if, if, if Adorno was lost in his, with trying to understand the culture industry, then I think we're kind of just so far lost and everything is so accelerated. Um, it's really kind of hard to kind of find our direction, um, in society right now. But, um, you know, I, uh, you know, my idea is kind of like Adorno, Adorno would, how he would think of these things today. Um, you know, if he kind of, you know, not like, not in the sense of if he was just transported, you know, or, or, you know, teleported in today's time, but if he, you know, obviously had like a reasonable grasp and context of it. Um, I mean, I'd have, I have no idea, I guess, you know, and it's like, um, you know, what are some things that you think, you know, maybe like certain things with, with, with memes and, um, in your book, you know, can the left learn to meme? And, you know, since, since that, since you've written, since you've written that, you know, um, have you had any ideas, any new, new ideas about, about memes, um, that have kind of, uh, popped up in your mind, um, and, in and, in your studies, uh, since you've written that book? Well, yeah, I mean, I think maybe since I've written it, things have changed a bit. Uh, I mean, first thing that the, the book was written very much as a kind of um, overview of how memes have become the thing that art always aspired to. So I'm kind of saying, well, actually, they're quite good because we always wanted like a democratic culture, as I kind of, as I said previously to you. Um, right. So that was kind of the real aim. It wasn't so much the aim to defend a specifically left-wing meme-making. And actually, it is talked about in the book that Adorno was not up for a very direct political representation, that he actually said his famous thing of, like, there can be no poetry after Auschwitz, which he said, like, in different essays, because um, he meant that, you know, the, the, the conditions don't really exist today to do justice to reality um, the capitalism proves the extent the kind of the, the extent that capitalism went to resulting in the death camps um as a kind of the end the ultimate kind of uh, as we say apex for want of a better word of identification gone wrong like the tendency to identify things and categorize them ending up uh because everything becomes a monetary kind of value ending up in the killing of uh uh, people in death camps because you know the money being the most important thing it led to conflict which had led to germany losing which had led to a sudden need to do something with these political enemies um and you know obviously the jews as a race that were were you know were scapegoated by by the nazis but um you know in a society where that happens adorno says 
you know, we don't we don't have the capacity to make good art about that same thing. We don't we we've already proven ourselves unworthy. So he kind of said we can only make abstractions. Um, and the abstractions in, you know, rather than trying to kind of understand this thing which is beyond comprehension and which we've proved we can't understand, you know, we can't understand anything anyway. Understanding is, is the thing that was screwing us up or trying to. Then he says, you know, we can only go the other way and just do things which are incomprehensible and hope in that way that they somehow, somehow explode the kind of nonsense of reality. And in that sense, all these memes from the left wing of like, you know, with the hammer and the sickle, with uh, Stalin, with uh, vote this, that, or the other. Um, I don't think Adorno would have any of that. I think he would see now the same kind of issue. We can't basically do justice to reality, to reality that that doesn't have a justice of such. Um, so I think he would be advocating an abstract meme, or even if he was interested in memes, he might hate memes. But my argument would be that we need abstract memes. And actually the book does kind of go towards that, uh, arguing for, I don't really say memes, but abstract millennial, as I was talking about, where you could say Zuma, um, online production, that things like Vaporwave, which I saw in the book as abstract, um, are of more value than very direct political messages. So that would still be my message, I think. So I would still say that. But I also say that this the internet is getting, frankly, ridiculous. And I actually get quite annoyed at times. I just think sometimes that a bit like if you had like a a painter with a brushes that was trying to paint a reality that just didn't conform to anything that kept changing and would just end up throwing their fucking paintbrushes down and saying, so, you know, <laughs> I feel like that with, with, with the internet now because, look, I mean... There's been a couple of things recently. The one was uh, when you saw, um, I forget her name, Bin, Bin Laden, the, the niece of Bin Laden. The niece of Osama Bin Laden, yeah. yeah. The, the, the name, and the name is spelled slightly differently, but she still basically keeps the Bin Laden surname, which is D-I-E-N rather, rather than D-E-N. Uh, oh, I, I had no idea. Um, and she basically, she's living in Switzerland, and she was saying, like, if you want to avoid 9-11 again, all the Twin Towers again, then vote Trump. Um, and Trump, was right. on a lot of, uh, It was on a lot of websites, and you had a picture of uh, Bin Laden Osama with his niece on the right of him. Like, they've got basically two photos side by side. And then her photo, she was wearing a MAGA hat. And I just thought it was quite funny. So I put it on Instagram. And when you post things on Instagram, at least on my phone, sometimes you get a thing where... Uh, it is in stories when you're posting a story the phone homes in on an object and then brings up a kind of shop saying oh you know you might like this so basically it homed in my phone um on the maga hat so you put this kind of square around it then opened up like a shop of maga hats saying we think you're looking you may be interested in this so i basically got my phone algorithm telling me um, you know, we think you might like the hat that Bin Laden's niece is wearing, as if that would even make sense, which also happens to be a MAGA hat, which if, if the algorithm knew anything about me, wouldn't be saying, probably. Um, and you get this a lot. Right. Like, I also get a lot. Amazon sending me emails saying, you might like to buy the Communist Manifesto. How, how Amazon would know that I've already got, how they would not know that I already have the Communist Manifesto, that I've recorded... Um, talks on my YouTube channel on the Communist Manifesto or reading groups. I've, I've quoted a Communist Manifesto in, in uh, essays that are online. You know what I mean? It's like you, you think it's implausible that these companies would not know anything about you when they're supposed to be so advanced to understanding you. 
then I think actually they do know about you, but the point is not to give you what you want. It's to give you something that will get you speaking. So then I say to you now, do you, you know, can you believe they keep telling me to buy the Communist Manifesto? You see what I mean? Now we're talking, you know, it, or, or I tell her, by annoying me, then making me click and talk and, you know, interact more with the internet, or at least, you know, maybe they're not planning that, but it doesn't matter that they, they're off the mark sometimes because all they really care about is creating more anxiety and annoyance. Um, so that I find kind of interesting. Another thing I find uh, interesting and equally annoying is there was, I was followed recently by a QAnon page on Instagram and they had like 20,000 followers and they were following 150 people. So I'm like thinking, this is worrying. Why would a QAnon be, be following <laughs> my, my page, which is called Left Can Mean? So I'm thinking, okay, this is not, right. not a good situation to be in. So I actually asked Joshua Tutorella, I said, do you know these guys? And he said, oh yeah, it's actually a left-wing channel, a left-wing um, Insta page account. Um, and they're pretending to be um, QAnon, but I'm like thinking, well, okay, well, this is good, but even I couldn't really tell. When I'm looking at it more closely, I could, I could say, okay, there's some irony in here. But by now, there's no point doing irony unless you do it so well that you can't really tell it apart from the real thing. But then you think, well, what, you know, what is the point in that? You know, you don't know who. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. So from it being satirical and the real thing at that point. Exactly. So there is just like this blanket of confusion and stupidity on the internet, which is making it difficult to really have a cogent thought anymore. Um, and I get that. Um, there was one more example. Um, it will come to me later. But anyway, I mean, it's been a, it's been two or three things recently. And I just think that I'm wondering the limitations of this. Um, and actually you have yesterday, I think it was yesterday, that Kim Kardashian said she's going to uh, take a week off Insta and Facebook. Actually, she's blocking her accounts for a week um, as a protest against the way that these things are manipulating people. They're being used politically. So we've actually got, and she did it with various other celebrities, but you have um, Kardashian making probably a stronger statement than most left-wing people against these these kind of um, algorithms that are, bas are basically distorting reality somehow or, or just confusing us. Um, so I'm a bit at a loss to what to do really um, in that sense. But it remains, I think, that these things are overwhelmingly positive in, in many ways. Like me and you can have this conversation. We can make this kind of media now. But we have to keep doing that with... Um, with some kind of um, um, with some kind of strong intention of, of, of building movements uh, that actually do stuff politically in in real life, and I, I, that worries me. How far away we are from that? If we're just entering into the general noise, you know what I mean? Right. And it's kind of like it, it's also on the internet. It's like, um, especially like YouTube, like we're all basically producing content for this website for free. We're not getting paid any money by YouTube. Um, and we're basically doing the work by for them, you know, like getting these people to watch our stuff and, and ultimately, you know, um, watch YouTube, uh, and, and, and click through ads, which makes YouTube more money. And, I guess looking at it that way is it's it's really depressing. But um, I guess like it's also like the monopolization of it. It's like it's hard. Like yes, we have the freedom to 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 say the, to say these things and and, and post just basically, um, 
you know, with with, you know, a while ago, you'd have to go and I mean, there would be a lot. I mean, it's just an, an unbelievable amount of steps involved with, I guess, having to, to get a production company, a, a production company to like make a film or to like put something on, you know, cable television. Um, and I guess now it's like virtually there is no steps. It's just basically record it and upload it. Um, but because, you know, it's not just that like us and people on the left now have this ability. Everyone has this ability. And it's just most of the time people are going to go and watch cat memes, you know, or like Kardashian memes. And, um, you know, the, the, the kind of monopolization of it, it's really hard to to get, you know, a lot of views. Um, but I think just the amount, just the amount of views in this kind of, in this kind of community on, on the internet right now, um, that we're taking a part of, I think just shows that there, 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 there is some hope there, there is, there, there are people that are interested in, in these ideas. Um, but really, really what, what, interests, what interests me is just kind of like, um, you know, it, it, me and you both have the, the interest. We're trying to study these kind of, these kind of internet cultures and these kind of memes. And, um, like the, the thing about studying these things is that you, you, uh, it's, it's kind of like, if you want to study it, you have to really be involved with it. And, you know, um, you know, probably like a lot of like scholars or, or people studying maybe Adorno, you know, decades ago, or maybe even pretty, you know, sometimes, you know, pretty recently, a lot of these kind of like academics are not really getting on the ground and getting in the meme culture. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and even if you try to study the meme culture, you really have to live in it to understand it. Yeah. Well, I think there, there's a thing where actually this is interesting that if you think about the blogging culture of, um, the first decade of the two thousands up to around 2012, um, you had like Mark Fisher, you had, uh, Graham Harmon, uh, Levi Bryant, you had uh, Nick Cernicek, you had all these people blogging and actually it was a great thing because it meant that, you know, if you were a student, you didn't have to necessarily appeal to your professor who often wasn't going to actually talk to you via email. I mean, professors back then, just they were still very arm's length with students. Um, but you might find a professor from somewhere else or another kind of very educated or intelligent person who would kind of interact with you on their blog or you could actually email them because you've read their blog and they leave their email there or some kind of way of contacting them. So it kind of really broke down the hierarchy and it kind of gave professors um, of European philosophy, of, um, uh, of critical theory, art theory, et cetera. It gave them no way to hide anymore. It kind of was like, you know, I can talk to Graham Harmon, so why can't I speak to my own professor? Um, so yeah, that did a great thing. But interestingly and tellingly, no one involved in that movement is now involved in left tube or um, in meme making, uh, right. actually I was a little bit involved cause I did, um, I had a little blog and I sometimes interacted with, I met Mark Fisher that way and he did some kind of joint texts with me and I used to interact a bit with Graham Harmon and some of the others and, um, mm. and but I was kind of very marginal. But one thing I will say is that the others nearly all, um, and it's not 
with the case with every one of them, but nearly all have secure uh, university jobs now. So this is one thing that people who are in universities who have secure jobs, they don't really need to be in the mean world. What the mean world and the left tube and uh, podcasting does, it gives a voice to, to anyone um, and then a visibility and then potentially an income. Also now, you know, through Patreon and other monetized systems. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, this distinction you're saying, uh, professors don't really get down and dirty and kind of making memes. Uh, I think it's partly because of that, that they're just kind of like cushy in their, in their contracted jobs and, and don't really need to, or don't want to. Um, but you know, I will say also they can't really understand it. It's true. And you do get this bizarre kind of statement, things like, um, when I see my, uh, 12 year old daughter using TikTok, I don't think anyone can understand TikTok or any platform through observing their 12, 14 year old, whatever, you know, yeah. Like you have to get on that app and really like spend time on situation really when the the generation, I mean, I'm kind of a young generation Xer. Um, I could be a millennial by some reckonings, but not really. Um, but if you look at gen- Generation Xers, they don't really understand the internet and they, none of them have written on the internet, I won't say the internet, but they understand the left meme culture, left tube, et cetera. And they won't ever write a meaningful book on these movements. I only like, they'll give it lip service, they'll mention it, but they, I don't think they're, that, that will really happen. And I think at the same time, a lot of memers, and particularly left tubers and people on Twitch won't actually go full on into academia because they'll start making money off those accounts. I mean, you look at the public that Peter Coffin gets, or does he teach? I don't think so. Um, I don't um, think so. And she speaks. I mean, there's quite a few of them actually. I don't know if I don't know if Sean, that guy who's just called Sean on YouTube. I don't know if he teaches, but. Um, you know, they, they get actually much bigger audiences than a lot of the profs in in kind of very well-respected departments now. So there's really, I think there's a bit of a, a power struggle going on here, also with the art world, because there's some brilliant artistic stuff happening on YouTube and Twitch and stuff. And it's not like that's really considered to be art in the sense of like contemporary art. Um, so uh, I think you we might see like, academia collapsing but where it collapses it's gonna and you see this a bit with um with the coronavirus with the lockdown and people having to, having to learn online you're going to see this co-opted by companies who start to give out uh degrees and stuff online it's going to get very very corporate but there's room then for alternative an alternative left education online so i think you're going to see that and then also with publishing you're going to see publishing houses collapsing becoming irrelevant and an alternative uh, academic publishing online, but it's not going to be like peer reviewed by these professors. It's going to be peer reviewed by people like me and you, I guess. Right. And no, that's an interesting point is, you know, these for these apps and they're like little worlds. I mean, like TikTok. I mean, it's like, and also, uh, you know, from, from a lot of even people my age, you know, or also a TikTok, you know, it's also a lot of very, very younger, but, um, I haven't even downloaded the app until like literally like the last month, you know what I'm saying? Because I felt like I have been forced to to look into this. 
Um, but it's even like, you know, uh, I, I know a good amount about TikTok and then like the, seeing stuff on Instagram, but then really getting into the app itself. It's a completely different world with these different dances and these different references. And it's like if you wanted to, if you really wanted to write like a book about it or really or really talk about this kind of like, you know, post 2010s kind of Internet that we're in right now, um, you know, to me, it's just like I really think I, I don't know where the, I don't know where the balance is between like, you know, how <laughs> how much time do you have to spend in, in kind of academia and like knowing about these things in the first place or, or knowing like about how to apply these kind of theories? And it's like how much time do you would someone have to spend just actually literally living in these communities and the TikTok, um, you know, or Instagram or YouTube kind of communities? Um <laughs> Because the way these kind of memes and and ideas build, it's it, 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 it's really hard. It's really tricky because you know there has to be some balance between like you're you know about the academic stuff, but at the same time you actually are really um, paying attention and are involved with what's going on on like these these apps themselves. And I, and I think you know you know like kill all normies was was good also zero books you know they're you know they're there's some of the there really seems to be a small number also your book uh can left learn to meme there really be, seems to be a small number of people that really understand the importance of this right now and this kind of this 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 new wave of technology that's an emerging um and kind of what's happening with that and the kind of culture right now um and I guess, yeah, I, I, I think I think there's going to have to be something with um, I don't know how academia, what, what academia is going to look like, you know, from from here on or or what these two things are, are going to be. But, um, you know, I guess my question is, is, um, you know, how how much how, how much does how much do you think, you know, people actually have to live inside these? And I know, like, you know, you're, you're on Twitter you're on um, YouTube uh, and you were also uh, a scholar, you know, you were also, you also know a good amount about the, uh, you know, academia and um, in kind of your opinion, how much do you, I mean, do you think that this is kind of underrated? Do you think not enough people are, are kind of pay attention to this and really understanding the importance of this or um, what is the kind of contempt? What, 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 it's, what is it like right now? And, uh, in the kind of academic world looking at uh, internet culture and politics yeah, or um, are we kind of like the only people? I was um, an adjunct professor in two universities in Rome, Italy, in, in two American universities. So basically they were studying abroad universities, but they were also granting degrees to local students as well. And um, I taught in communications departments. So kind of like, introduction to communications with some kind of element of Benjamin Adorno, Baudrillard, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I kind of got some kind of overview, but an interesting thing is that a lot of 18 to 21 year olds don't know meme culture and don't know um, Vaporwave, et cetera. So you end up educating them of, you know, what, what their generation apparently were doing. Mm. Um, but, uh, but it, I mean, it depends on your students and where they're, where they're from their background, perhaps a little bit. Um, but with my students, there weren't that many that were kind of really well up on, on this stuff. 
Um, really, that's kind the, of surprising. The professors were even less well up. Well, I mean, you have to you have to bear in mind that what you have off to what you, I mean, you you have some. Yeah, of course, they're, they're dead on into internet culture, but you you have a percentage which are like posting selfies that look a bit like Kardashian, mm. etc. Uh, I never really yeah. found a problem with that. I mean, they they know their age group and what's happening, but they didn't maybe know the we could say the avant garde of that generation. You know, their own generation. Um, I see. I mean, some some obviously did, but um, you know, as for professors, as for like the academic industry, uh, if we can call it that. Um, I didn't see people really knowing very much. I mean, I don't see how they can because if they've, I mean, they're often in their 50s. I mean, my, the thing is, and partly what influenced me writing the book is that my immediate superiors were about 15 to 18 years older than me and most mm-hmm. my colleagues were and my students were about 18 years younger. So I was like kind of in the middle looking at these two different generations. Um, but I think, you know, if you're 50, if you're teaching full-time in a uni and you've got your own kids, you're probably not going to be on TikTok in the evening or right. League of Legends or whatever. Um, I would, you only have a certain amount of time in the day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would say they don't know this stuff. They, I mean, they maybe they watch Netflix and stuff. I mean, there were interesting courses coming up in things like um, you know, digital TV culture. So Netflix, HBO, et cetera, how that was changing television. Um, so, I mean, I suppose if people are grasping things like that, then they write courses on them. But yeah, I mean, it's not likely they're, they're going to be able to write a course on, on TikTok or whatever. You know, it, it, you're, basically you're right. Yeah. I mean, it's, they, they don't really know and they don't really accord it value. There, there was a, an awful lot of kind of uh, millennial generation bashing. And actually at that point, we tended to call the students millennials still, even if some of those students have been recategorized now as Zoomers, because generations tend to kind of like get defined as as you go along. Um, but so they were saying bloody millennials, but actually you're talking about Zoomers a lot of the time. Um, in fact, even then the youngest of our students would have been classed Zoomers. But there was a lot of this bashing of younger generations and, you know, kind of rolling of eyes at YouTube culture and meme culture and this stuff that, you know, was taking people away from reading books. Now I think of capitalist realism and Fisher bashing students for not wanting to read Nietzsche and wanting to only smoke pot and play on his PlayStation, um, PlayStations, Um, which actually also sounds bizarre to me because it's like, well, that's the age you, you need to start rebelling. You need people to rebel if you want to make a left movement. So, you know, why kind of critique for the, critique them for that? And, and, I, and I really think, you know, I mean, there would have been people saying in the, is it the 1400s, my history, I, I don't remember dates straight off the top of my head, whenever the Gutenberg Press was made and the Protestant Reformation came from the Gutenberg Press, basically this kind of simple printing press device which enabled people to mass print Bibles and pamphlets which allowed um, um, Martin Luther to then you know, um, rebel against the Catholic Church and it kind of made for lit- mass literacy or led to mass literacy for the first time um, you know people were probably going oh this is no bloody good you know 
about the Gutenberg press. And, and you know, too many people are reading, right? And, because people, I mean, it, did, it changed reading. It, people, or you know, people, people are reading, or the way they're reading, because print, mass print, quite quickly led to formalized print in lines of writing rather than kind of ornate calligraphic arty writing because Bibles always tended to be made by by monks who would spend just ages kind of artfully making these things but you know the text would be all over the place because it was more of a meditative art, artistic kind of journey reading the Bible um, which probably it should be I don't know um, but you know and then it kind of turned into this kind of mass produced uh, thing. Of, of straight lines of text which, are, which some people argue led to like uh, kind of rationalist thought then the enlightenment um, uh, you know, because these kind of lines of rigid text do lead you to kind of think in a linear way, perhaps. Um, but you can imagine people trying to turn back the clock there, saying this is no no damn good. Um, and people can do that now, but I don't, you know, I don't really see the value in that. I think there's there are new ways of thinking. Um, the next Das Kapital won't probably be a book, quite simply, you know. Um, right. And that's, I, I would welcome that in some ways. And yeah, so I, I think academia needs to kind of um, reformulate and it is happening. And, you know, I think that we, we, we could find ourselves, I suppose this kind of makes me feel good saying this, because I don't know what, frankly, what we're doing right now, generally in, in the online left, but we could find ourselves very much at the forefront of reformulating these kind of things, you know? And I think we could kind of formalize it more. We have a reading group um, on the acid left called the Beyond Linguistics Reading Group, where we basically read through um, we read through a book and we also make artworks, if we want to, about the chapter we're reading and we talk about it, me and Adam, and we have other people come on sometimes. Um, and that's kind of one way of having a reading group. But we could also make courses and stuff, you know, um, because I think it was, it's great what's happening, but maybe we do need to kind of collectively formalize a little bit. Not not to have only one format, but you now let's start thinking more in terms of courses and, you know, ways of organizing politically. And I think we could then kind of usurp things like the university system or the publishing system, and we might become useful somehow. <laughs> Yeah. And, and that's also really interesting is because it's like, cause like Twitch, um, and YouTube are looked at as entertainment, you know, and, you know, more like back in the day, I guess, um, these kind of things are more separate. Like there was, there was a very more, there was a lot more of a clear line between like, okay, I can sit back and relax and watch some entertainment, watch my movie or whatever. And then, you know, I have to go take my my uh, my class or I, I'm going to read my book or whatever. And like the like one is entertainment, one's education. And the thing about the Internet kind of right now and with Twitch and with YouTube is it's kind of blurring the lines is like, you know, obviously what we're doing is is educational. But um, we're using these these uh, platforms that are traditionally, you know, looked at and like meant to be like for entertainment. And that's kind of the thing which I've been talking about with 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 friends in like the last year um, is like this idea of like, yeah, you know, we're kind of getting a, a lot more away from we're getting we're getting more and more away from reading, you know, and it's like I don't think vi watching videos or podcasts should be a replacement for reading books. Um, and I guess I kind of just sound 
kind of like a more of a crumpy, you know, conservative in that sense. But um, because a lot of people are really excited about the kind of video thing. But I kind of feel like, you know, um, like reading, you know, you 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 have to you have to get through like if you're reading a page of a book, you have to like like only you are going to start from the the beginning to the end and, and read through it. You can kind of let a video play, even if like like, you know, some people will be watching a podcast or something and then they'll like start like fucking with their phone or like looking on Twitter or something. And it's like the podcast will still keep playing, you know, like once you take your eyes off the book, the book stops in your mind. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The the kind of and I don't know, I think the kind of entertainment part with a lot of these. And but also I think the key is I, I, I'm having a lot of kind of debates with myself because it's kind of like the, the kind of dialectic of my of, of my thought here, which is like, you know, is it is it better because, you know, for the entertainment aspect of it, are we getting more people into this that usually wouldn't be because it's entertaining? Um, and this is just the only way that they'll get into this. Or are we kind of getting people to like kind of read less and watch more, which I don't think is completely a positive thing. Well, I mean, there's certainly an aspect of people, of people reading less. Um, I think that's inevitable. I'm not sure if it's terrible. I mean, there's something that there's something that's going to happen. Um, but I also think that, that frankly, the the level of discussion on YouTube, on on accounts that consider themselves to, to you know to be discussing theory or politics, tends to be pretty good. I mean, I wouldn't say it's below a kind of BA level course or even master's level course. And after all, you know, what, what does one get on those courses anyway? I mean, it tends to be pretty anodyne, um, not particularly advanced stuff because you tend to have mixed, mixed level groups, no? Um, and right. you tend to have, um, mixed level, um, groups with a number of people who don't speak the language of the university as a first, as a mother tongue, which is great. I love all that stuff. The fact that you get all these different nationalities in a university group in a class or whatever. But as a professor, I can say, you know, you have to really kind of slow down, take a step back, account for the fact that everyone's level is different um, in a way that, you know, it's going to come back on you if you don't educate everybody, paying attention to everyone's needs. Um, on YouTube, I'm not saying that the benefit is that you don't have to give a damn whether people are following you or not. But I suppose there is that thing of... Um, People being able to pause it and go back to it and stuff, you know. Um, but but generally, anyway, I I just think that you know the level is is kind of equal, and the only one is not so much in a position of having to uh, to cater to a, you know a minority of people who if they don't understand a word, they're kind of like wanting to pull back the whole class. You know what I mean? Because one doesn't really understand every word always. You know what I mean? It's like you you have to use a certain amount of intuition and let things roll. And I think that can happen with YouTube. So, you know, these, these things can be quite complex and um, not be too hung up on whether everyone's grasping every word and people will kind of fill in the gaps or get a dictionary or whatever. Right. So I don't think the level is any different to BA or MA level. I think that the level is perfectly adequate. The only thing is that we don't have a structured course so you couldn't say like I don't, i'm not going to uni i'm going to do youtube i'm going to watch a load of youtube instead i mean that might teach you stuff but um you're not going to walk away with that certificate at the end so 
that's what we really miss in terms of can we usurp the university system? And there's various reasons one might want to usurp because it costs a lot of money in some countries because it's run by the state or a weird mixture of state and big business, which can't be very good for truth, you know, or for like passing on truth or for development of knowledge. So there's reasons why you might want to like build something different, but whether it could really kind of like, whether we could replace that um, without being able to offer certificates, you know, I don't know, but maybe there's ways of doing that. Um. So, so you do think that, you know, um, in the academic world and like on the YouTube world, you, you don't think like kind of the YouTube is kind of like uh, poisoning it with like the masses and, and, and um, the idea that so, so you do kind of think that um, people in the YouTube world, people are actually learning a good amount. Um, yeah. I mean, I think and, so. yeah, I mean, I'm seeing whole stuff like offshoots of YouTube and Twitch channels that have Facebook walls where people are saying like, so is Stalin bad? Well, the question sounds ridiculous, but, you know, you get people responding seriously, saying, well, it's like this, pros and cons of Stalin, et cetera. As you know, it sounds like even possible to talk of pros of Stalin. But, you know, we're really looking at things historically and, and, and what Russia was going through at the time, reasons why things ended up, why they did. You know, this this is coming off Facebook linked to, um, I mean... I'm, you would never think that, like, Facebook would be... Yeah. Yeah. Something where that discussion I'm thinking would be taken of a Capital place. Comrades group, which are kind of an offshoot of Zero Books, which is run by Conrad. Um, I forget it's two people running it. Um, Conrad Hamilton and um, I forget immediately. And also Elliot, Elliot Rosenstock's involved, and there's a third person. Forgive me, whoever it is. Um, but you know, you get there's many of these pages. The Mark Fisher page. I mean, sometimes it gets off the rails because the Mark Fisher page, which I follow. Um, is it Mark Fisher memes for horological teens has a lot of people posting on Nick land and, you know, Nick land taught Fisher, but Nick land then ended up going very right wing. And it's almost, almost a model for Trump, even if Trump hasn't maybe read him, but um, you get people posting a lot of Nick land stuff, partly because he has some place in Fisher's history and even in Fisher's work, but often just to wind people up. You know, just like, ha, ha, look at Nick Land and they post a meme about him because he is like a white supremacist um, and various other things which are not good. And, um, you know, sometimes you get that. Sometimes you get a meme page which is just constantly kind of ruined by people um, trolling it. And it can even be people on the left trolling it, but just being kind of funny, just being like edgelords for just being idiots, basically. Um, unfortunately that does happen as well. It depends. It depends on the page really. I mean, that page also can have good stuff. I mean, that's what, you know, sometimes you get somebody asking a decent, a good question about Fisher and, or just, it can start as something silly, but it ends up into a dialogue. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's certainly happening and, and can happen. Sometimes it gets disrailed, unfortunately, derailed rather. Well, um, yeah. And you, I know you must be, uh, you must be very busy. Um, so I think we can, uh, we can, we can cut this here if you'd like. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, I don't know how you normally cut it, but yeah. No. Yeah. Usually I just, I just find a, a, a good kind of like derailing point, um, in the, in the edit, uh, post post-production and just, um, just cut it there and have some kind of music come on or something like that. 
but um no yeah i really i really appreciate uh you taking the time to come on and talk to me Oh, yeah, no, you, so, yeah, yeah, sorry, really, really interesting talk. Uh, I mean, I could have gone forever, but you're right, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm also quite tired today somehow. Um, too much staying up late looking at the internet. Um, but um, yeah, let's.